There we go. Okay. Welcome, welcome, everyone. It's uh, it's really great to see and um, to see the the growth of the of the class. And then we have a witness here that we started off three. And now we are what twenty percent. Um, <laughs> it should continue this Over way. 300%. Over three hundred percent. Over So it should continue this way. It should continue this trend. The way this course usually this is my first time giving the JLI course. JLI is Jewish Learning Institute. They said they, they put together courses in a professional way. It's my first time giving it, so um, um, I'm gonna need it's it's an interactive it's an interactive course. So please jump in as well. At the same time, let's not um, get off topic. Let's try to keep it to topic and concise, so we keep uh, moving and finish off the, the the lesson of today. So this was this uh, this Bobby, this uh, elder grandmother with three children, and and uh, she was retiring in Florida. So so the, she was turning eighty, and the children, very successful businessmen, they wanted to get a present for the mother. So the first guy, you know, he decides that you know what, I'm gonna get mom, I'm gonna get her big house, big house, bunch of rooms, spa. Um, um, view, I'm going to get her the best house out there. And then the second guy says, the second son says, house, I'm going to get her a, a really good fleet of cars. Car for every single day. She's going to be able to go everywhere, any terrain, anything. And the third guy was like, okay, you know, cars and houses, at the end of the day, everyone has, but I'm get her something very exotic. He decided he's going to get her a parrot. The story of this parrot is that when he went to the store to buy it, you ask the guy, so how much does parrot cost? And the guy was like, oh, this is a hundred bucks. I was like, a hundred bucks for parrot? Why a hundred bucks? Well, he could recite the whole entire Torah by heart. Oh, that's, that's, that's great. And then, uh, well, what does parrot, uh, how much does the other parrot cost? And he's like, uh, this parrot cost a thousand dollars. A thousand dollars? Well, what is so good about it? Oh, he could recite the entire Talmud by heart. And then he asked, uh, what about the, this other third parrot? And he said, well, what could he say? What you, how much is it? And he says, uh, well, this is $10,000. So he asked, uh, what, could, what could he recite? What could he recite by heart already? And they say to him that, no, actually, he doesn't, he doesn't talk, so they don't know his uh, knowledge. But the other, two, the other two call him a rabbi. So he gets his parrot. <laughs> he, goes back, he goes back home. He gives it to the mother. She celebrates her birthday. And she sends a letter to the three sons. To the eldest, she sends, thank you very much for the house, but guess what? I'm elderly now, and uh, it just takes me so long to walk. I'm from one room to the other, forget my glasses in the morning, I'm the whole day spending looking for it. Thank you very much, but I'm not gonna take, I'm not gonna use it. The second son who gave it the car is food of cars. He was like, you know what, you give me food of cars, thank you very much, but guess what? Now everything is on Zoom, I have nowhere to go, so I'm gonna keep it. And to the third son she wrote, but you, you really get it. The chicken was delicious. <laughs> Don't get too emotional. It's just a joke. <laughs> Point is that there is different. Don't get too invested. Oh it's yeah. It's not worth it. So the point is, there's different things that make people happy. And this course, what we're going to do is we're going to, as as we said just before, we're going to ask questions. We're going to ask questions about happiness. You'll have a certain image about happiness. Is that image real? Is that image kosher? And what, what is it about, um, about Jewish mysticism or Kabbalah that has to add and has to say about happiness? Um, it's no wonder that, uh, that this course, there's a lot of people coming. Actually, the, 
the most popular course in Harvard University for years has been Intro to, to Economics. It was like a lot of people, it was the most popular course. Until in 2006, a Israeli psychologist started teaching a course, Positive Psychology. And that became the most, the most um, um, successful course in Harvard history with more than 800 students attended the first class. And not only that, but they brought the parents, the grandparents. The point is that happiness is a, is a topic that is high demand. And even nowadays, um, surveys of, of jobs, um, when they ask people what, what they're looking in a job, not necessarily the, the answer, the highest paid is not really, it's more a job that makes me happy. So that's the, that's the, the, the objective of, of this course, of this whole entire four, it is a, says a six week set, six session, but we're gonna do only four, so we keep it from first Friday to first Friday consistence. And uh, we're gonna to try to tap into a little bit what the Kabbalah and what, uh, and what uh, Judaism has to say, what the Torah has to say about happiness. So, questions. How are happy people who could find it in page? Let's go open your learning exercise, um, open page. your book, page 21. Is it page 21? It's the page. No, it's page. page. Oh, I have a different book. Okay. First page, page okay. 10. We're going to start, um, as we said, we're going to start asking questions in order to um, tear apart or in order to. Um, um, break whatever image of happiness we have. Question number one, how are happy people different from unhappy people? Question number well, two, sorry. if you have, question number two, to what degree do our circumstances, family, education, career, etc., impact our overall happiness? Three, what are the, some of the challenges of living a life of happiness? And four, what are some of the benefits of living a happily? Now, we'll give a minute and a half or two minutes and write down uh, whatever answer, whatever whatever you think is the answer, then we're going to revisit it and see if Judaism's perspective and happiness was was in line with what we think of happiness now. Okay, so let's, let's give two minutes. Do another 30 seconds. If you don't
don't get to write all the answers, it's okay. You could take this home and continue and fill it up then. what we got. So question number one, how are happy people different from un unhappy people? Aneta, what do, you, what do you got? I wrote that happy people have a positive outlook um, and try to look for the good in everything and the best in every situation. That's great. Uh, Julia, I'll just go around with this. What do you have for uh, qu question number two? To what degree um, do our circumstances impact our overall happiness? I said very much. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Could all agree? Okay. okay. Uh, question number three. I didn't get that far, but I'll wing it. Um. Okay. Anyone? Anyone did question number three? I did. I did. Okay. Share sure with us. Um, keeping everyone around you happy too, because so many. Uh, care about being unhappy affects you. Okay, sorry. It was a question. What are some of the challenges to living a life of happiness? So what is the challenge to... Keep everyone around you happy too because someone you care about not being happy affects your happiness as well. Okay. Any other things to add? Um, Sam? Johnny. Johnny. Sam is my middle name though. Okay, I, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um, there's always more to be desired, so, so wanting more. Okay, and for question number four, what are some of the benefits of living happily? Living longer and healthier. It's okay. like a, scientifically like a chemical is being happier. There's a release of chemicals that yeah. data proves that. Yeah. And, uh, and if you didn't get to the question number four, it's okay, because what we're gonna do is we're gonna show a little clip suggests that happy people are shallow and empty, have no ideas and nothing interesting to say. Woody Allen may have been funny, but according to recent scientific studies, he was wrong. Research has shown that happy people show more flexibility and ingenuity in their thinking, are more productive in their jobs, are better leaders, and they even earn more money. A fascinating and now classic study demonstrates a link between happiness and longevity. The Nun study focused on 180 nuns who joined convents in Milwaukee and Baltimore between 1931 and 1943. On entering the convent, the nuns wrote an autobiography describing their lives and reasons for joining a religious order. Years later, researchers at Kentucky University analyzed these autobiographies. Based on the level of positive feeling expressed in each autobiography, the nuns were categorized into four groups, ranging from the happiest 25% to the least happy 25%. Research results showed that 90% of the most cheerful group were alive at age 85, versus 34% of the least cheerful group. 54% of the most cheerful group was alive at age 94, 
as opposed to 11% of the least cheerful group. Those who used many words expressing positive emotion lived on average over 10 years longer than those who used few such words. Research has also shown that being genuinely happy is an indicator for successful relationships. At the University of California at Berkeley, researchers studied 141 senior class photos of women from the 1960 yearbook of Mills College. They examined their smiles. Half of the women had genuine smiles, the so-called Duchenne smile, in which the corners of the mouth turn up and the skin around the eyes crinkle. And half the women had inauthentic smiles, known as the Pan-American smile, after the flight attendants in television ads for the now defunct airline. The women were contacted at ages 27, 43, and 52, and asked about their marriages and their life satisfaction. It was found that on average, women who genuinely smiled in their photos were more likely to be married, stay married, and experience more personal well-being over the next 30 years. Numerous studies indicate that happiness leads to success at work, better health, and good relationships. Why is this so? Why does happiness result in so many positive byproducts? What do you think? So yeah, we see that according to all the studies, there's a lot, a lot of benefits to living a happy life. Is it there? Yeah. So that's what we're turning now for. So question, question on and bottom of page 11. Why, do, why does happy people produce so many positive benefits in our lives? So we're going to start looking at sources in, in the Torah. This is going to be... Um, this is, this is from the Tanya. This is the basic uh, book of, of, of Jewish philosophy, of, Has, of, of Hasidic philosophy. And we're going to see, we're going to start from the more or less like personal, and then we'll go to the cosmic effect of why happiness brings so many good uh, positive effects. So I'm going to ask um, uh, uh, Mina, you want to read text number one in English? There should be made known as a cardinal principle. The internal spiritual battle waged against one's negative impulses is similar to a physical wrestling match. If two individuals are wrestling with each other, each striving to fell the other, but one is lazy and lethargic, he will fall and be easily defeated, even if he's stronger than his opponent. The same applies for regarding the conquest of one's impulses. If it's, if it, sorry. It is impossible to defeat them from a state of laziness and heaviness, when stemmed from sadness and dull heart, but only from a state of brisk enthusiasm, which derives from happiness and a heart free from any trace of worry sad and sadness in the world. That sounds... So what do we see from the Tanya? The Tanya already sees, says that, you know, even Shnei Odom, two people who are wrestling with each other, doesn't matter the size and the strength of, of the people. If one is lethargic... Oh. <laughs> Wait, what? If one is lethargic and, and just slow and just heavy, he's not going to be able to wrestle properly and win the, win the, the match or win the, the fight. Needs to be a happy, quick, someone who's agile, he's only the one who's able to, who has the more odds and chances to defeat 
um, the, the fight. So from a personal way or from even a, again, there's a lot of answers in the world, in the world of psychology, in the world of, of yeah, yeah, in, in the secular world of why happiness, but what we're gonna do over here is we're gonna see Torah sources and try to apply it. So we see right away that we have a source in the Tanya that might seem like, you know, very, very, very uh, simple quote-unquote explanation that it's simple. People who are happy, they are people who are um, agile on their feet, they're able to get things done, they're able to, you know, they don't get stuck in, in whatever challenge it is. They're able to do it. They're able to just self-master themselves and that's why they're successful in, in business, they're successful in, in relationships. It's because they are, they are happy people. They are able to, um, they're, since they're happy people, they're able to accomplish or fulfill all of the things, the same as person who's wrestling. Now there is a much, this is a, in a practical, a personal way, there is a, a more a mystical um, explanation of why happiness brings to so many, brings to so many um, benefits. Uh, Jenna, I want to read text two. Yeah. The Baal Shem Tov would constantly declare, it is written, God is your shadow. Just as the shadow mimics what a person does, so too God, so to speak, mimics what a person does. So the Baal Shem Tov is kind of giving a deeper meaning to a, to a verse that says, God is your shadow. The simple meaning is that what? That God protects you. It's talking about this. It's a psalm. It's talking about the, um, that God is protecting you. God is your shadow. God is going to be on your right hand. So shadow in, this, in, the, in the simple uh, meaning is, is going to be protecting you. But the Baal Shem Tov is a deeper meaning. And he says that shadow means the same way as you react the, shadow, the, way, the same way as you behave, that's how the shadow behaves as well. And, for, and what the Baal Shantov is basically saying, you're going to see the source in the Zohar, also is that the way we behave down here, it's what we affect in the higher worlds. So when people say, you know, he's happy and, 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 and he sees it, or he's ha is a better perspective, Alshanto says, no, it's not just a better perspective. People who are happy, they change the cosmic, they change the relationship that, not relationship, but the, 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 they create a better situation in the above world, and that's why the odds for them for being good in this world is much greater. Just imagine like, like rain. You know, we went to school, we saw the, the science experiment of how rain comes, how we get rain. Rain is actually uh, the sun reflects in the, in the water, the water, there is um, steam or whatever it is that goes up, creates clouds, and the clouds create rain. So whatever we do, if it's toxic water, the rain is also going to be toxic. For many years in, in, in Hiroshima Nagasaki, the rain was toxic. If, the, if, it's a healthy, if it's a healthy situation down here, so the rain or what shadows from above will also be healthy. So the Baal Shem Tov is saying that if we are happy, we create above that God is also happy. Now, where the Baal Shem Tov has, has this teaching, so we continue in text 3a. Um, um, oh, yeah, I want to read text 3a. We're going to see this is from the Zohar. The Zohar is the text of, of mysticism, but it's the most... Um, it, it, it's unclear. When the Zohar was, was, was written or was compo composed, when the Zohar was actually written, you weren't able to really understand what the Zohar says unless you learned, in this case, the Hasidic philosophy that 
develops the idea that of the Zohar, like the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov developed this idea that if you, the way you behave, that's how the upper rules react, and he gets it from the Zohar. What does the Zohar say? The Zohar says, oh, um, oh yeah, go and three, text 3 eight. get too excited. Come and observe, our world is always ready to receive the spiritual flow that emanates from above. The upper world provides in accordance with the state below. If the state below is joyous, then correspondingly, abundance flow from above. But if the state below is one of sadness, then correspondingly, the flow of blessing is constricted. Therefore, serve God with joy, because human joy draws a corresponding supernal joy. So that's why, according to the Zohar, it's very important to be happy. Being happy creates a different situation above. And there's a, there's a, there's a detail, of, not a detail, there's a duke. There's like a small uh, um, footnote that the Zohar says, there's a lot of times when the Zohar wants to say an idea, it either says, come and observe, or says, which is tachaze, or a very familiar Talmudic expression is tashema, which means come and listen. It's like the, 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 the Talmud is saying, listen to, to, to the whatever, whatever idea or come and see. But in this specific case, the Torah says, the, the Zohar says come and see. And one explanation is, is that the Zohar chooses this expression and not come and hear because there is overwhelming evidence that when someone is happy here, from above, he gets it better. What's the reason? Zohar says is a direct, direct um, um, impact or direct um, causation from his actions on here. There's another verse that says it's not it's not here in the text, but there's another verse that says that God is. You have to know what's above you. That meaning, the simple meaning is that you have to know You have to know what is above you. Meaning that God is above. You have to have that image, that that presence all the time. But on the same line of this of this Zohar, there's a there's a Hasidic explanation that goes know what is above, comma, from you, or off you. Meaning that the, 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 the higher worlds, they behave in a way, or, or, or the, the, the reality in the higher worlds comes from you. It's not only know what's above you, but know that what happens above is from you. you can, and in Hebrew, actually the Torah doesn't have any, any vowels, because... Once you put vowels to letters, you're very limiting the, uh, the, the meaning of the world, of the word in Hebrew. If the Torah has no vowels, no dots, no commas, so then you could have, you could have a, 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 a axis or, a, or the Torah is leaving it open for deeper meaning and not constrained to the vowels of a simple meaning. So that in this case, this is what we see, that they put the comma in the middle and is know what is from above, that know what above is from you. Same idea. Anyways, what is the what is for, what's the benefit of us being making God happy? What is uh, okay? We made God happy. God behaves in the way the same way that we behave, and we made Him happy. Now what? Um, Katharina, I want to read text three B, page fifteen. When a person is happy, he stands above all his personal limitations and weaknesses. He can do things that he can that he ordinarily could not do. He can forgive his worst enemy. His joy generates inner energy that breaks through and shatters any barrier and stands in his way. When a person carries joy in the spiritual realm, the same things happen. In the spiritual realm, there are also limitations and barriers, for God has chosen to establish a natural order through which he controls our world. Just as there are rules of nature that govern the physical world around us, 
They're principles of casualty that govern the effects produced by our conduct. On the most general level, these rules follow the following principle. When a person does good, he receives benefits that enable him to continue in his path. If he fails to do good, he will suffer difficulties that make it obvious to him that he should change his ways. These are the patterns of causation that God chose to establish in the spiritual realm. Nevertheless, when a person is misha, how do you say it? He creates joy in the spiritual realm. God himself is, so to speak, also bismha. This causes God to reveal a transcendent dimension that is not bound by the laws of causation mentioned above. In simple terms, this means that God will give great blessings and make positive things happen, even though normally these blessings would not be granted. There's two more lines, page, next page, 16. By radiating simcha, we can awaken simcha above and affect a radial change in the situation before us. So from this step, yes. So what I get from this is that it's even, be, it's beyond our own selves. Like, sure, we can make ourselves happy and that affects us immediately, but it's about the, the dissemination of happiness that comes from us being happy, the people we interact with, who we touch, who, how, we, how our happiness affects others and may affect their mood and how that trickles beyond us. So it's even greater than ourselves. Yeah, that's correct. So, so this is the, the two points that we're bringing in this section over here is the first point we said from Netanya that someone who's, who's happy, he's able to get things done. He's able to, you know, seize the world with a different lens and he has a, has a, has a better mood always and he's um, always um, in a practical way. And then now we're seeing from the Kabbalah that, no, that actually being happy somehow, as we see, we don't know why. We don't know why there is laws of gravity, but there are laws of gravity. We cannot argue with that. We don't know why the sun sits every day, but it does. And the same way, we don't know why um, someone who's happy affects happiness above, um, but it does. So, so this is more of a, not only in, in your own personal mind, for um, sort of say, but it's actually something that goes beyond and affects higher worlds. There's a story with, the story was going around a lot um, uh, when, when, when the lockdown started. This, this story about two Hasidic, um, they were brothers, and they used to go around town, little towns around Europe to teach people and inspire people. Um, and once, for some reason or another, they got, uh, they got caught and they went to jail. Um, being in jail, they were together with a bunch of other Russian peasants. And, and they had one bucket for, to relieve themselves. They had one bucket in the middle of the cell, and, and, and that was it. Now, these two Hasidic... Uh, Jews, they were like, we need to pray. But the Torah, and the, 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 Jew, the halacha is, that the Jewish, the Jewish law is that you cannot pray in a place that there is waste. So we need to pray, but we cannot pray. What are we going to do? So one decided, you know what? We cannot, the same way as God, when, he, when we are able to pray, he wants us to pray. The same is when we are not able to pray, he wants us not to pray. So they started dancing and they started being happy and started dancing around the bucket of waste. And then the other Russians saw it and the other prisoners saw it and they were like, okay, let's, you know, there's no smartphone. So they started dancing also. <laughs> so there was a whole big commotion happening. Every, all, the whole cell started dancing, going around. And then the, 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 the guard came down to the cell and was like, what's happening here? And uh, the Russian, one of the Russian guys said, look, they were speaking English, so we don't know what they were saying. But they were saying about something about the bucket. 
So the Russian is like, the bucket. Okay, ghost takes the bucket and takes it out. <laughs> and once that happened, they were they able to pray. pray. <laughs> so did they, did they thought that being happy and dancing will bring the guard and, 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 and make the bucket take away? No, but for some reason or another, that's what happened. Now, um, when is the best time to ask your boss for a raise? You've done a good job. <laughs> when he's happy? Like, yeah, when no. he's happy, there you go. <laughs> I think that's more important. Because if he's, if he's angry, if he comes angry... Or in your case, you give him another grandkid. Oh, that's also. That's actually, it's in Halakh as well. When since that they're happiest, this is like, if you have, uh, if you want to, if you want to, not tap into, but there, there's some commentaries that say that if you want to get a loan forgiven, you should go ask, to the one who made the loan, when he's marrying a daughter, should ask them then to forgive the loan. In other words, it's such a happy occasion for him that he's able to provide and to let go and to give. That's the, that's the nature of joy that they give. So the same way that what happens with us, what's the benefit for us if God is happy? Well, if God is happy, so the same way as we give without boundaries, God also gives without boundaries. So why do people happy? Why do happy people have more benefits? It's not only a, a mindset game. It's a, it's, it's, a real, it's a real game. It's a real, it's a real cause and effect that happens. And when you're happy, you get better situation, but you get better effects for your, for your life. Uh, text four. We're going to see it as well, how happiness has a, a, a much greater impact. So Jenna, want to read text four? Joy is loftier than tears. The heavenly gates remain open for our tears. As the Talmud says, the gates of tears are not locked. Joy, however, demolishes and pulverizes the supernal walls and barriers. So we see that joy is in an even greater um, position than tears. It says that if someone repents, tears, the gate of tears will never be shut down. But when someone comes with joy, he breaks down those, those gates. So the effects that joys have in the world is much greater than tears. And we see that, we know that, uh, and according to Jewish, um, Jewish philosophy, repentance and teshuva is something that, you know, anyone can do at any time. But the, the effect that simcha has, it's much greater than teshuva. Okay, we're going to go to the next. So we see that on many levels, we have a great uh, deal of, of, of um, benefits being the simcha. I'm going to do an exercise over here, a learning exercise. We'll take just, uh, just for you to go over it. We're not going to do the whole thing, but basically is whatever result of it, you, whatever, whatever is it, you rank yourself and then you add all the numbers and you divide it by four and that's going to be the final result. We're going to give a minute for that.
Okay. Whatever, whatever is the result, you don't have to share. Keep it for yourself. But we're going to see um, if, you know, actually this exercise is something that you should, I think according to the, the, the researcher who made it, she says to do it often. Not only one time, but actually you should check in yourself with this ex exercise um, uh, every once in a while. You know why the, you know why the, the million dollar, why happiness is a, is a million dollar question? Or like how to be happy is a million dollar question. Because we think that if you have a million dollars, we have the answer. But we'll see if this is true or not. Okay, we're gonna what we're gonna do over here is we're gonna see what the concept or what the perspective of happiness that we have now or that society has, and what is the perspective that um, that Jewish philosophy and the Torah has to say. As we mentioned in previous classes, everything in the the Hebrew is called the, uh, the lashon hakodesh, which means a holy language or a holy tongue. The reason why it's called a holy tongue, a holy language, is because most languages, the words we use are simply a way to define between, cup and, uh, let's say, a chair and a table. In order for us to understand, you know, where to put the food, we call it a table a table and a chair a chair. Because if we was mixed up, so then you see, you know, people sitting down in the chair, and from the, uh, uh, sitting down in a table and eating from the chair, it's not gonna be practical. But in, in, in Hebrew, the word itself, it's something that defines the object or the subject. And that's one of the reasons why uh, the, the word for, in Hebrew for Bible is Torah. Because Torah is, the word itself is almost like Mora. Because Torah is not an ancient book that we read, but Torah is a Mora, is something that teaches us. A Mora is a teacher, something that teaches us how to live a daily life. So we're gonna, a lot of, a lot of the answers to questions that we have in, in general relies on the etymology of the world, of the word. So we're gonna start with the etymology of the word happiness. Okay, over here already the answer is up there, but what are the etymology? What are the, the, the words that come to your mind when someone says happiness? Yeah, we have happenstance, which means a chance, chance happening. We also have haphazard, Random, hapless, no luck, or hapluck, you know? So in other words, why some people are happy and some people are unhappy, it's, uh, you know, some people, it's a, it's a reality of life, meaning some people are tall, some people are, and, and that happened to them, they didn't have any saying or choosing if, if they want to be tall or not. Some people are short and they have no question, no, no, no saying in that. And some people are happy and some people are unhappy. And they also have no question, something that happened to them. Some people have different, uh, um, whatever, he was born to this family, he didn't chose. It happened to them that this was their parents. It happens that as well, whatever, sorry, whatever happens to us is what creates our happiness. And this is what general, the concept or the, 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 the way we look at happiness. If I had, or if when I'll have, and when X, Y, Z happens to me, then I'm going to be able to be happy. But until then, until then, I'm, 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 not, I'm not gonna feel guilty, feeling miserable, you know? But, but this, is not, this is not kosher. This is not the Jewish way. This is not the way that uh, the Torah sees that happiness. So what is, what is the way that the Torah one second, are we, are we? Text five. Text five, okay. Um, Johnny, you wanna continue text five, page 18. 
Um, one of the first empirical studies to provide a glimpse into problems of affluent youth was um, a comparative investigation of low-income urban 10th graders and their upper socioeconomic status suburban counterparts. The sample included 264 suburban students who were mostly from Caucasian white-collar families and 224 inner-city youth who were predominantly minority and of low socioeconomic status. Affluent youth reported significantly higher levels of anxiety across several domains and greater depression. They also reported significantly higher substance use than the inner city students, consistently indicating more frequent use of cigarettes, alcohol, marijuana, and other illicit drugs. So right away here we see that saying or, or defining happiness in a way that whatever happens to me, that's what the result, the end result is happiness. It just doesn't even go according to, to data. We see data over here, the study that there is a lot of people who have a much better, quote unquote, um, um, uh, not quote unquote, but they have a much better life, a much better socioeconomic status than other people. In other words, the more they, they get and the better of a life, the more established they are, the more chances of, of, uh, of, of, of falling into all of, all of these addictions um, it grows together, parallel. So the question is, so it cannot be so, it cannot be that happiness is an end result of what happens to you. I mean, it's, it's, it's a known that who are the most, we're going to see at the end of the course, if we're going to see what's the Jewish take, but people who are the most uh, um, um, suffering of, of, of um, it's a mental illness, but there are mo the, a lot of people who are um, suicidal, it's a, a lot of people who are really well off. People who are already made it in life and they don't find any more meaning, suddenly they're suicidal. They're like, okay, we got to the end of the road and I'm, I'm done. So the question is, cannot be, needs to be something deeper. And now we are getting to the core of this lesson. The core of this lesson is gonna transform or it's gonna give us the, the, the punchline to how, how to look at happiness in a, in a Jewish way. So we're gonna do, I'm gonna read text Six, page 19. I'm going to read it in, in Hebrew, and then I'm going to translate it. Oh, we have a, have a joke over here. The boss says to the employee, money came by your happiness, Sims, so instead of a raise, I'm giving you a bottle of Prozac. Prozac is a drug. <laughs> <laughs> Sad. I think that's the point. <laughs> so now we get to text, text six, page 19. The Zohar says, the letters forming the Hebrew word besimcha, which means with joy, are the same letters that spell machshava, thought. And this is the Jewish answer to happiness. In other words, happiness doesn't rely at all in things that happen to us. That's not a, that's not a Jewish way to see it. Jewish way to see how you how are you besimcha? How do you create that um, status of being in a happy being happy? Starts from machshava. The word itself tells you how to get there. Once you have a proper mindset, once you have a proper perspective, so that is the key to live a happy life. Um, um, Joa Rivers, um, she said she had a quote that said that money is not the key to happiness. But with a lot of money, you can get the key done for you. 
point is that Kita happiness relies in the in the same words of Machshava as 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 then that is Machshava. So you might ask, okay, so how is it? How is it that happiness thinks? And for that, you might come to another course. We'll have a explain it then. I'm just kidding. The name of the course is How Happiness Thinks. So that's we're tackling today. Um, so we have to start. From a Jewish perspective, that's the start of, of, of we are the, 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 the starting point of how to have a Jewish or a, or a healthy or a kosher perspective. So question to you guys is, what is a kosher and a healthy perspective for yourself? A negative self-image or positive self-image? Anyone? Positive. Positive self-image, that's the... Not too much. <laughs> Realistic. You become arrogant if you have a lot of yeah, positive self-image. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so we'll see over here. Um, a negative self-image, no, why not? Or, or negative self-image is not the way to go, according to Torah. I wouldn't think so. So what is a healthy, what is a kosher perspective? What is a kosher way to look at ourselves? Positive, negative, lofty, not lofty. What? Positive. Positive, positive but humble. Yeah. Positive yeah. but humble. Yeah. What she said. Okay. <laughs> know that you're made in the image of God. Amen. That's that. Uh, what you guys are saying is 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 very in in line with what this course has. You guys didn't took it anywhere else, right? No. Okay. <laughs> so we're gonna see what are the what are the advantages and disadvantages of of being a negative negative self concept or positive image. So. Um, so text 7, page 20, 7a. We're going to see why um, uh, Dr. Abram Torsky passed away this year. He was a rabbi, he was a psychologist. He wrote many, many books and he dealt with a lot of, you know, so over 50 books. And he, was, he had a center, of, uh, the addiction center, etc., etc. And he, one of the things, as, one of, what he writes in his books is following. One of the reasons why not to be, why, one of the reasons why it's not kosher to be a negative self-image in yourself. Zach, you want to continue? A trait? Yes. <clears throat> a trait often presents in people with negative self-images is that they try to please everyone. To please everyone, People who fear that they are unlikable are apt to try to buy friendship, as it were, by ingratiating themselves to others. If asked to do something, they will invariably comply. Because although they wish to say no, they are afraid that refusing someone's request may cost them that person's affection or friendship. As a result, these people often carry a great deal of resentment within themselves and are angry that others are taking advantage of them. These people pleasers are unquestionably unhappy people. So that's reason number one, why not to be a negative self-image. Okay. Josh, you want to continue? Yep. 21. Stresses of everyday life are virtually unavoidable, whether they are job or business worries, family problems, or social stresses. People who feel themselves to be competent are generally able to cope with them, with these stresses and make the proper adjustments, often bringing the problems to satisfactory resolutions. People who consider themselves inadequate, however, are apt to see many normal stress situations as being overwhelming, not because the challenges are actually so enormous, but because they feel too inadequate to cope with them. So number two, why negative self-image is not kosher? It's because negative self-image is not the way to live a life. You cannot live a life that is, that is 
that has challenges and stresses in a way that you have a negative self-image. That is like right away setting yourself for failure. Because if, if it's not about that you're not able to do it or, or that the challenge is so great, but if you look at yourself that I'm not worthy, I'm not, it, it's not for me, that right away, um, it's, it's half, that, that right away is half of the failure. So you cannot say that negative self-image is kosher because of reason number two. Um, Elaine, you want to continue page 21, yeah. text 7C. People who have negative self-images are extraordinarily sensitive. Their egos are so fragile and they so anticipate that their imaginary defects will be noticed that they may develop a type of paranoia, interpreting even Bainan remarks as insults and grossly exaggerating any remarks or actions which may be remotely critical of them. Right, and simply having negative self-images, if anyone says something, since you look yourself as negative, if something says some, something, that, and they didn't even meant negatively, but since you look at yourself negatively, so you're, 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 you're connecting that they're sending something bad or living a life that is full of threats all the time. So from there we see, number one, that negative self-image is not kosher. So what about maybe the opposite? What's the opposite of a neg negative self-image, uh, overly positive self-image, or, or even arrogance? So what's the problem being, uh, being uh, having a, a, a very, very high positive image? That, that, should be, that should be okay, no, apparently. So having a very high negative, uh, having a high positive self-image, the, 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 med, the, the medrash uh, commentary has to say, has something to say about it. Um, Nita, I want to read te uh, page, text number eight. Sure. They said to the Euphrates, why is your sound not audible? My deeds make me known, it replied. When a person plants a plant next to me, it matures in 30 days. When a person sows a vegetable next to me, it sprouts in three days. They said to the tigress, why is your sound audible? If only my voice would be heard so that I may be noticed, it answered. So we have a lot of people, I mean, not everyone who's uh, very, very loud and very set and, and positive self-image means that he falls in this category. But a lot of people, when you see that they're very, very uh, arrogant and, and, and positive, um, thinking about themselves, about themselves positively, is there's something off. Yeah, as we see over here that, the, that, the, that Euphrates, he didn't need to explain himself. He didn't need to, to, to say anything. His actions show for what he is. You plant something over there, it sprouts right away. You plant the vegetables, it sprouts. You, 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 you plant uh, something else, 30 days. The, the, the tigris, on the other hand, needs to be loud because he's actually not producing anything. You know, sometimes you see in social media, specifically, you know, uh, um, couples who are so in love, they're on top of each other, every picture. Two months later, they're divorced. They're in court, they're in lawsuits. What happened? Well, well, what was what was the reason? And um, people who don't even post their, their their romance on social media remain married for 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 eternity. Why? Because they don't need to post. They don't need to talk about it because they have it right. And some people don't have it right, and that's exactly the reason why they need to talk about it. So number one, people who have positive arrogance, positive self-image, there's something off. But let's say that someone someone actually is. You know, he's, he's working and he's delivering and he's, you know, you, you plant next to him and he, and he grows right away. And he's also a positive self-image. So why is that not the way to go? I mean, not, not, not why not? Is that the way to go? Is that the way to go? Is that the kosher way? So we're going to see in page text, in text number nine. Uh, Julia, I want to continue. There's more happiness upon receiving a gift than receiving a wage. One does not work for a gift and does not deserve it. So one can be happy upon receiving the gift. 
but a person works for a wage and deserves it, so there is less reason for joy upon receiving it. A person who is overly self-aware, who mistakenly believes himself to be of high standing, who therefore thinks that he deserves everything that he has, this person will have no happiness in all that he has. And that's the point, that if someone is, is, sees himself so positive, so there, there's no reason for happiness in his life. Because everything, that hap- everything good that he has is just justice. It's just a fair. It's fair for him to have X, Y, Z. It's fair for him to, to have all of the commodities or whatever he's having because, you know, he's so good and he's so great. So happiness in a, such a person, in such a character, such a mindset doesn't work either. It's not the Jewish way. It's not the kosher way. So the question is, okay, so it's not a positive self-image. It's not a negative self-image. It's something between. It's one day one and the other day the other one. What, what, is, what, what is the kosher way? So if we go to page 24, Sasha, we're going to ask you to read. Be very, very humble. Done. Money about about You guys were on point. Yeah. That, we still have to understand what humble means. The Torah said that our sages say, be very, very humble. And it's, it's rare over here because you use the word, you use the term very twice. You know, they, they really mean it. You see, very, very humble. Actually, the reason why they say it twice, it's, it's, it's a deeper one. Because Maimonides writes that any, any um, tra- character trait, it's not, to, it's not good to be in extremes. So you cannot be an extreme on any, neg- in any character trait. You cannot be, if, you're a, if, you, if you want to be um, um, angry, you, or the ang- not angry, um, um, anger. The, the trait of anger, the, the Rambam says, Maimonides writes, that you cannot totally take it away from your life. You still need to have some anger because if if a child or 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 or, or someone uh, does something and, and and anger maybe might be the way to educate them, so you need to ha- you need to have some anger left. Doesn't mean doesn't need to be your your lifestyle to be an angry person, but you need to have some anger left in order to use it when you need to. And with all the traits, you need to have you need to have you need to be balanced. What my money is right, but when it comes to humbleness, my money says there's no balance. To be very, very humble. That's what our sages say. I mean, the sages were before Maimonides. So when Maimonides is writing what the sages mean, he writes about all the character traits. It needs to be a balance. When it comes to when it comes to humbleness, no, it needs to be very, very humble. Now, the question I ask you: When you see a humble guy, where do you put him? Let's see if they have a. Yeah, this is ethics of our fathers. When you, have, when you have someone who says, oh, this guy is very humble. If you have a scale of very negative self-image and very positive self-image, where would you think he falls? Or into what, closer to what would he be? Anyone? Without looking at the, at the presentation. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think closer to positive. Closer but, to positive? But a little. I don't know. Someone who's, yeah, no, yeah. Say, say. Someone who's very, very this guy is very, very humble. He's not a fanfare. He doesn't. He's not loud. He's very, very humble. Is that like, just the, the, Do you think this guy is like, coming into and, and just being the loudest in the room? No. That's the image you have of him, or you know, just being on the side, just doing business enough for him to have a lifestyle and and move on. 
You guys are humble, huh? You don't want to say anything. <laughs> Con- connotates meekness. Apparently, no. Yeah. And it has it has this, this image or this concept that someone who's humble, you know, he's a little bit on the a little bit on, uh, towards more towards the negative side. And the question is, is if if this is what our sages meant when this, when they said you have to be very humble. So you don't have to be self, very positive. You don't have to be very negative. You have to be humble. Now the question is, okay, what, what does humble mean? What, what does humble mean? What what does it mean to be humble? Yes. So shafal ruach means translation is low spirit or low. Um, yeah, low spirit, meaning that you have a lot of people that they they think about themselves so great, but there's nothing to it. They think about them. That, that's the whole, that's the whole uh, being very positive or being uh, over over positive. Rabbi say meod meod. You have to be very very humble. That's the yeah. That's the Hebrew for for um, You also have the word anava, which is also a word in Hebrew that's also used. But this is more in the I don't know exactly use the term shval ruach and anava. But I don't think it's relevant to our discussion now. Um, okay, we're gonna skip the text. Let's skip the text 11. And we're going to start reading about what is humbleness? What does humble mean? So the, the problem saying, the problem saying that when you have to be humble is that there's a little bit of meekness or negative self-image. The problem with that is that, as Sasha said, that we are created in God's image. So it cannot be that the design or the way that God designed the human being is, is, is in a negative way or, or, or it has flaws. And if you think that God is not a good designer, so then there's another class that you should come. Um, but the point is that, that we cannot say that is a negative. When you say you have to be humble, we cannot say it's negative. That's not in part with Jewish thought. So what is um, humbleness? Um, who was reading? So, um, yeah, I can. Okay, yeah. Go uh, 26. There is a well-known teaching of the Rebbe's of Chabad. Just as we need to know the defects, so too we need to know our strengths. The anomaly in this phrase is that it says our strengths, but with regard to defects, it merely says the defects, not our defects. What is the reason for this? Leviticus 4.2 states, when a soul sins, and when a soul sins and discusses the process of rectification, the Zohar, however, phrases this as a question of bewilderment. A soul sinned? Is that possible? Meaning, the concept of sin is completely alien to our being. Even when we stumble, God forbid, it does not undermine who we are. Rather, it is something outside of our nature that has latched onto us. We are citizens of a material and mundane world, and it is therefore possible for something unholy to attach itself to us. Though it is a defect, in a sense, it is not our defect, but a defect imposed by our environment. Yes, so there's a, there's a teaching that says, the same way as we have to look at the defects, so too we need to know our strength. So when it speaks about us and strength, it says our strength. When it speaks about uh, defects, it says the defects. And what you're saying over here is that at the core, who we are is we are the Tzalem Elohim. We are created in God's image. And at the core, that cannot be tampered. You cannot change the design. There's no surgery that you know, will tamper that, that 
that, that Tselem Elohim, and anything that, anything that is negative or anything that is, doesn't represent the, the, the image of God, it's something external to us. It's something that is attaching to our persona simply because we live, we have embodiment in a world, we live in a world that has a lot of um, negative things surrounding us. So living in a world that has a lot of uh, negative things, we always find that there are the defects. Those the defects, there are like things that are external. They don't really, they're not part of our identity. But when it comes to our strength, it says our strength. Because at the core of who we are and what we are, we are created in God's image. And that is the, the way, as we're going to see, I was going to see that the following text, we're going to see that is the core um, principle of, humble, of, of someone who's humble. Someone who's humble, he doesn't think about himself. Someone who's humble, he recognizes what's his mission. He's here in God's image. God is, is God's messenger to the world. He's here to create something. And knowing that, that already, whatever you're able to accomplish, it's, it's never about you. It was never about what you, what you were able to accomplish. It was what you were able to, to what, what you were meant to do, you did it. So why are you taking credit for it? God, God, God designed you in the perfect way. God designed you with, with the right design for you to do the right mission. So while you do it, there's nothing to take for yourself. There's nothing that you could, uh, that you could claim that is yours and, and be arrogant or positive about it. At the same time, knowing this is the strongest character. Because if God demands from you to do X, Y, Z, so then, yeah, we see, we see it even now. In this, we, and now, now, we see it nowadays. We have a lot of rabbis. Um, uh, what I'm, 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 most, uh, I'm most impressed is the rabbi of Russia, chief Chabad rabbi of Russia. Is, if you met him as a, as a teenager, as before he went to Russia, he was someone who was totally um, immersed in the, in, in, in the world of yeshiva and what, what is it that Hashem wants from him and the best way to contribute to the world. And now he's the chief rabbi of Russia. So how is someone who's that humble be able to, to, to get that greatness? And the point is that that's exactly what got him to that place. Because it was never about his abilities or his accomplishments. It was what he needs to get done. And he needed to get done X, Y, Z in Russia. He got it done. But it was never about himself. It was never about his image. So this is the core of, of humbleness according to Judaism. So in order to be happy, in order to, to not to be defined or not to be stuck in the in the negative things that happen or in the, or in the, in order to be happy, what it, it's, 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 it's a must to recognize who we are and that we're created in God's image. Um, we're going to skip a few texts. I'm just running out of time and I want to get to the end of the, of the lesson. So we're going to continue page, uh, text 15. Um, who is reading? Uh, Olya, are you reading? Yeah, text 15, page 29. Humility is not synonymous with inferiority. It's not due to a lack of inner good or uh, to being on a bad path, uh, heaven forbid. We should com contemplate how all the good we possess is an inheritance from our ancestors. We should not take credit for our belief in God or for our willingness to give up our lives for our faith, because these are natural inborn traits 
we inherited from our ancestors Abraham, ancestor Abraham. This is the idea of humility. We do not take credit for the good we possess, knowing that our attainments are not our uh, own doing, but something we received by inheritance. This is the meaning of the verse, um, Moses was exceedingly humble, more than any person on the face of the earth. Moses uh, was cognizant of his own qualities and was aware that his lofty spiritual level was unparalleled, unparalleled. Mm -hmm. but he was still humble. He recognized that all these uh, qualities were given to him from above. He felt that if another person would be endowed uh, with the same abilities and qualities as he, the other would have uh, equaled his achievements, or perhaps even suppressed them. It was this that led Moses to be the humblest man of all. Yeah, specifically Moses. How is Moses the humblest man? Because Moses was the one who was able to recognize that everything he got was not of his own credit. And having and being humble, it's a prerequisite to being having a positive self-image, and that eventually takes to um, leads to happiness. Yeah, we're not gonna. We, there is more to the course. You need to come next week and the following weeks as well, because at the end of the day, um, you know, uh, there's so many challenges, and I'm sitting here at the class, might sound amazing, but when the, you know, the push comes to shove, it's expression, so then, uh, then you know, you throw everything out the window. So there is, there is more to the course, and the point is that having a kosher, kosher image of who we are, and that's the prerequisite to happiness, is to be able to be humble. Humbleness. People are not humble. People think a lot of the, about themselves. They're never happy because they deserve it. People who are very low and negative about themselves are also very never happy because always people are stepping on them. But if you're humble, so that your strength is basically the fact that you were created in God's image. And there's nothing stronger than having the image of God. Now, recognizing that is a challenge, of course. But that's the Jewish perspective. Now, this is, um, this is uh, the, the first answer that we have of, of how happiness thinks or, or what's the perspective on happiness, but there's a deeper explanation that I want to get to, and at least we're just going to do it fast, you know, we're over time, so we're going to do it, um, page, there's a learning exercise in page 30, but we're going to just continue page 31, and actually I'm just going to say it from, I'm just going to say it from, summary? Um, yeah, you know what, go, go ahead. A flow like humility. Um, page 31, text 16a. Okay, uh, when someone else senses his head or one of his limbs, it indicates illness. Okay. A healthy purpose does not feel his, a healthy person does not feel his limbs. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just making sure I'm reading that right. Yes, that's that's <laughs> there. Um, correct. Okay, the same applies in spiritual sense. When a person senses his own extent, existence and then is the definition of arrogance, this indicates a spiritual illness. A spiritual, healthy person does not sense himself. This is, this is very powerful. This is very powerful. Are you now feeling your kidney? Yes or no? That's not a limb, though. It's an organ. So in this context, it's the same. For this purpose. Do you, are you feeling now your eyeballs? Well, now that happened. you're mentioning it. You feel them? I know they're there. I feel them for I'm sure. Glad you know they're there. <laughs> what about I don't know? What about the, uh, the, the forehead? I have sensory processing forehead. disorder. I feel all that, so it's a little different. Are you, are you feeling it? Yes or no? No. If you're healthy, you shouldn't be feeling it. Mm -hmm. 
like a headache, it's throbbing in your head and you feel it, okay? Then you have a headache. I mean, you, you could explain it, you could explain it on a, on a medical way, on a medical term. You notice your well, head much more. Yeah. Well, because you have, you have nerves and you know, as soon as, as soon as you touch a nerve, so if the nerve is tampered, whatever it is, then you feel pain and the, the signal goes to the brain. But we're not, what we're doing over here is going to the back end of the things and looking how does it work from the other side, not how we look at it from the science way. And um, the, the, the beauty thing, the beautiful about, about this course when it comes together is that they merge over here in the field of, of science and uh, positive psychology and, and Torah. And we see that what Torah was saying for thousands of years, um, psychologists and science is catching up now. Uh, not catching up now, we're also being able to see it in science. But the point is that someone who feels himself, it's not, not, not good. And in this context is someone who's busy thinking do I have a positive self-image? Or do I look at myself in a positive way? Do I look at myself in a negative way? That itself already, the fact that yourself is part of the picture, that already, it's not so healthy. You know, when you look around, you know, thank God I was blessed with a, with a two-year-old, almost two, and, and he's the happiest, he's the happiest guy. You know, he's just running around, Happy all the time. Break stuff. He's still happy. His brother. He breaks his brother. Also happy. Whatever. He's so, so happy. Kids are super happy. Also, kids, there was, a, there was an experiment made lately that what they did is they had, they had a cart or a, or, a, or a stroller. And attached to the stroller was a, was a carpet or a rug. And they asked the kids to push the stroller. So when they got closer to the stroller, automatically they got, they stepped to the, on the rug and they were trying to push. And they weren't able to push because they were standing on the rug. So kids until the age, I think the experiment went, kids until the age of, I think it's three or two and a half, to a certain age, they're not able to figure out why it's not, why they cannot push it. They're trying to push and not able to push it. Then you get older, and you know, they try pushing on the seat. Oh no, I, I'm standing here. So and they get off and they move the thing away and they're able to push the stroller. But fascinating is that kids who they are the happiest, they don't see, they're not part of the picture. They're, they're not, it's never about themselves. It's about this needs to get pushed or I need to play or, or whatever it is. But themselves, they're not part of the picture. They're not thinking, they're busy thinking about themselves. And we see it with, it's, it's something that you're able to observe we see it in science, and as well, it's in, in life and in happiness. It's something that is more abstract, but the, the data and the, and the examples are, we're able to see. In other words, yeah, go ask, yeah, as we see over here. There is, imagine going to, yeah, Normandy was the biggest um, invasion of all times, was what ultimately decided the course of history, and... Um, imagine if you have a reporter or a journalist asking the soldiers, are there, as they are, you know, getting, getting shot in the, uh, the beaches of Normandy, so tell me, how do you feel? Are you anxious today? Or, 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 or do you think you, are, you have a positive self-image about yourself, a negative self-image about yourself? The soldier would be like, what are you talking about? I'm in the middle of a war over here. We need to defeat the enemy. There's no time for positive and negative self-image. So being in that state, Although is a is is more of a higher state, is more of a, a more sensitive. We have to be more, um, not more sensitive. We have to be less, less physical, less, less taken by the world, and we're able to kind of like detach ourselves from 
whatever is happening, whatever our situations we have, and we're able to focus on, okay, what needs to get done? What, what, what is my mission? What's my purpose here? As we spoke in previous classes, if you're still alive, is, that means God still needs you. You have something to fulfill. If there's absolutely nothing you can contribute, you wouldn't be here. So there's something that needs to get done and something that only you can get done. And having the, the highest way of humble, being humble is to, to yourself not being a part of the equation. We have this in, uh, in, uh, in, in, in terms, we have it today, we have it in, I think it's in, in, medi in medical, in athletes. Athletes call it, we're in the zone. Or, or the, the, run, the, the runner's high, what's the, what's the expression? Flow. So, so runner's high, right? What's the runner's high? Like being in the zone. Being in the zone, correct, <laughs> yeah. Which means, which means that the, he doesn't feel his legs, he doesn't feel himself. It, He's like, he's totally... The adrenaline rush. You could call it, it might be adrenaline. I'm not saying it's not. But if you, if you kind of like try to um, detach or take a lesson from this, from this zone or from the rush, what's happening here basically is this person is so consumed with the mission of marathon or whatever his purpose is when running, I think he doesn't feel himself anymore. Or as well, in modern psychologists, they call it being in the flow. The flow means to being so present that yourself are not part of the equation. And this type of humility is what ultimately brings the highest joy. This type of humility, someone who has a life that is purely, purely um, a mission life and purely of what he could accomplish, and purely what he, could, um, what he can contribute and not what he can get, that's the happiest life people could live. That's why we see that, you know, people who spend their life, business, making millions, what is it that they do after? People with millions, what do they do after? Once they, they donate. donate. No. Start donating. Why? They don't need it Because they realized that it didn't bring them. They didn't need it when they have 50 million either. Because even, even 1 million, you don't need $1 million. You have a much better lifestyle, but you don't need a $1 million. But they realize, the, the reason why they open foundations is what they realize that, what's the point? What's the point of amassing all this fortune? And that's why, as we mentioned at the beginning of the, of the class, that people who have, are, are, are well off have more, have more um, uh, chances of falling into suicide because the question for them is much greater. If you don't have any money, it's okay, you have nothing to contribute. But if you have tons of money and you're not contributing anything, that's the most existential crisis someone can have that leads to suicide. So the takeaway lesson Number one is, you have to be humble. What humblements mean? You have to be mission-driven. And a practical takeaway for this class, I want to encourage everyone, on your way out, take a menorah. We're approaching Hanukkah. There's a lot of people who, you know, Hanukkah is usually with, with, uh, with, uh, together with Christmas. Guess what? This year is way earlier. And it, they totally forget, might totally forget about it. So take a menorah, find a friend, relative, uh, a co-worker who's Jewish, who doesn't have a Monero, and give him the Monero, and then it's the easiest way to become of service. It's the easiest way to be humble, to be mission-driven. So that's, and, and then you could do, then you could, if you want to add in that, if you want to do more things, it, it's even better. But this is, from this class, the contribution that we're going to take away is to hand a Hanukkah Monero to someone else. So 
we had to a little bit rush the, the class, um, but I think it's very powerful what we're learning here. It's very powerful the ideas that Torah has to share. It's very powerful the, the message. It's a message that we're not gonna see it anywhere else. And uh, we should apply it. We should, we should definitely apply the messages. We're having a, a, a menorah workshop next week. Um, even though it's a workshop, but as well, you can come make a menorah. If you don't wanna make it for yourself, you have one, make it and give it to someone else. As well, this is to give out. And before anyone um, stands up, my wife is gonna make everyone sit down back if you don't get a picture. Just say. <laughs> so, I knew that was coming. Okay, so, so who wants to volunteer? Uh, do I have a, do I have a phone? Oh, yeah. I can take a selfie. Yeah, that would, that would be good.